It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. So we're finally able to sit down and record this podcast. Graham and I, my name's Joe Dolan, by the way, he's Graham Barfield. Graham and I have been sitting around like talking about this hypothetical podcast we would record for about a week and a half now. And we were going to do it Monday and Graham had a migraine and then all hell broke loose. I mean, I don't even know when these moves were made, Graham, anymore. Like the Devontae, we were sitting around waiting for Deshaun Watson to get traded for nine years, it seems like. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm trying to, you know, just watch a succession with 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 my wife. Um, happy birthday to her, by the way. Her birthday's today. Um, I'm trying to sit and watch succession with my my wife, um, with Siobhan Roy, who is absolutely caked up. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and I and the Devontae Adams trade breaks, and since then, all hell is broken loose. The two best wide receivers, arguably, in the NFL, don't want to throw too much shade at Cooper Cup, uh, have been on the move in the last week. Deshaun Watson's on the move. He's probably still going to get suspended. There's a little bit of a late-breaking news on him. Matt Ryan gets traded after his franchise basically makes a deal with the devil, and the devil left him at the altar. Graham, today is Thursday the 24th. It is the first day in what seems to be two weeks that the NFL has given us a chance to breathe. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Um, yeah, dude, this is um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks have been just crazy, man. I mean, uh, I know when we first did our first free agency pod, we were just talking through Brady and everything. And that feels like three weeks ago now. It's it's just wild how time is just uh, like kind of frozen on us here. But uh, yeah, a lot to get to, man. A lot to get to. I, I you know, I think I, on the first pod, I was saying how much I enjoyed having an NFL hot stove, but over the last couple of weeks, it was like constantly trying to like, you know, tweak best ball ranks and write up these moves and stuff. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the NFL draft now and, and uh, everything that entails to kind of just switch gears a little bit here. So I wanted to throw this out. Yesterday, I tweeted that we had done a full staff best ball rankings update. I tweeted that at 1052 a.m. Eastern time. And I'm like, finally, you know, we've got a chance to breathe. You know, Deshaun Watson got traded. Matt Ryan got traded. We were finally able to just sit down and breathe and do the best ball ranking update. Literally nine minutes after I tweeted that, Ian Rappaport reported that contract talks had broken off between the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill. An hour and a half after that, he was traded. Yeah, that that whole situation, it, it was so crazy to watch that play out, like, just live on Twitter in an hour and a half. I mean, obviously, there was a lot that, you know, led up to it. You know, the Chiefs and Hill were, uh, you know, engaged in contract extension talks for, I'm, I'm sure, since after the playoffs. But, yeah, it just seemed like that unraveled so, so quickly. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, right, there was, like, three to four days of, of – talks behind the scenes and then it comes out that the Jets and the Dolphins were the two teams and then he eventually Tyreek Hill gets traded to the Dolphins okay so let's start there we'll get to everything else that we haven't talked about yet but we're going to start with Tyreek Hill because that's the late breaking news and if you're listening to this we're probably going to reference the article quite a bit um Scott Barrett did a breakdown of the Tyreek Hill trade from a fantasy perspective and it is spectacular um it's up at fantasypoints.com and when I tell you he analyzed this from every angle possible 
Alex Smith is a central character in the article, but it breaks down the Tyree kill move to Miami. And he goes to Miami for five draft picks, 2022 first rounder, uh, 2022 second rounder, a 2022 fourth rounder and fourth and sixth round picks in next year's draft. So quite a bit for Tyree kill, but ultimately only two picks land on the first two days of the NFL draft. But now Kansas city has the most picks in the draft, but let's look at this from Miami's perspective. What, what is the thought process here, Graham? Um, Because this, this, this is the, the, the first thing that I have to think of as a fantasy football is Tyree kill is a borderline was a borderline first round fantasy football pick. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be controversial in saying that is not the case for you anymore. I don't think you've updated your best ball rankings yet, but no. I, I don't think it's controversial to say that won't be the case for you anymore. No, I haven't. I haven't updated yet. Um, I think he'll fall pretty far in my ranks though. I mean, um, just looking at it now, like Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown at like the round two, round three turn kind of feels like a comfy spot. That's kind of around where Waddle uh, was ranked, where we had Waddle beforehand. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's just, you know, Scott alluded to this in his article and, you know, I was thinking about this last night and, you know, I think everybody on Twitter was kind of pointing this out too, but like, you know, Tyree kill is fine with Alex Smith. And I think Alex Smith is actually a really good comp ironically for Tua, uh, just kind of a ball distributor who gets the balls, uh, you know, ball in his hands of his like yak guys. And, uh, look, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, the new coach, Mike McDaniel is going to do it in, you know, he's going to try everything under the sun to get the ball in his hands, uh, in the hands of, of Hill and Waddle. But, you know, that being said, I mean, there's a huge, I'm not breaking any ground by any means here. This is not a hot take, but I mean, there's a huge drop off between, you know, Chiefs uh, and Mahomes and, and, and Tua. That being said, getting the drop off right is much easier said than done. Um, I Right now, we're sitting here on March 24th. I have no idea. Um, you know, exactly where we're going to project out Tyreek Hill. But I mean, you know, the big difference for me, just in terms of projection, I think Joe is the volume, like, you know, the chiefs were top three in pass rate in the last three or four years. Do we expect the dolphins to magically become a top 10 team in pass rate? I don't think so. I think McNando is going to probably, uh, you know, be very balanced, especially considering he comes from, you know, the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. Uh, I'm sure they're going to run a lot of outside zone stuff. I'm sure they're going to run a lot of play action. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is, you know, not only is, you know, he you know, Tyreek Hill specifically downgraded from a quarterback perspective, but we're going from like, you know, a God mode offense for fantasy to, I don't know, in terms of just volume, pretty balanced one. And I think that's kind of where, uh, I think that's kind of where we got to figure out where Hill and Waddle and all these guys kind of shake out. Well, we have to filter this conversation um, on Tyreek Hill through a couple of lenses. And the first lens I want to filter it through is through Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And, mm-hmm. you know, nobody, I, I think, would argue that Tua's been overly impressive in his first two years. I mean, he literally got a coach fired because Brian Flores did not want Tua. Um, I think it was evident he didn't want Tua from the start. He benched him multiple times in-game as a rookie. And he had some numbers... Um, um, uh, last year that, uh, that, you know, weren't so bad, you know, for a guy who's been as criticized as much as Tua has, but let, let's go to some, some quotes about Tua from Greg Cosell, who obviously scouted Tua thoroughly before the 2020 NFL draft. And these are from his profile in the fantasy points draft guide. And he said he had limited velocity. 
He is limited in his ability to drive the ball, and he has a deep ball which lost energy on the back end. Okay. And here is the full evaluation, the whole come together of this. For Tonga Vailoa to reach his ceiling, he would stylistically need to play like a Drew Brees, an efficient, precise pocket passer playing with high-level timing, rhythm, and accuracy. He is not a Russell Wilson kind of player. Tonga Vailoa's traits and skill set best profile as a pocket QB playing in a well-schemed system. Very clearly, Graham, Mike McDaniel Hmm. took this job knowing that Miami is publicly backing Tua as its franchise quarterback, at least for now. And he was going to have to evaluate this player. And certainly Mike McDaniel has seen the same things that he is a pocket quarterback who needs to play in a well-schemed system. Here is, here is a really interesting fact over the past two seasons, Scott put brings this up in his article Tua has attempted a deep pass on only 8.6% of his throws, which is fourth lowest of 32 qualifying quarterbacks ahead of Jared Goff. Okay. That makes sense. Daniel Jones, who doesn't have wide receivers. And how about this? Jimmy Garoppolo, who is far beyond anybody. He's almost a full percentage point behind the second lowest in that category, percentage of deep passes. But Garoppolo also was second best last season in yards per attempt, despite having the ninth lowest average depth of target. Why? Because... San Francisco was incredible after the catch. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. Now, it's important to point out that, yes, the system helps there, but those three guys would be great after the catch anywhere. doesn't necessarily have to be San Francisco, but we have to look at Tyree Kill from the perspective, Graham, that he's probably going to be a different player this year. He is somebody who is going to get the ball at or near the line of scrimmage far more than he did in Kansas City. Fortunately, I do think he's a player who can succeed in that role. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the role he had with Alex Smith. I mean, um, you know, I think Alex Smith probably at his peak had a slightly stronger arm than Tua. But, um, you know, to kind of piggyback off of Scott's point that he made in his article, um, you know, Tua's average after target last year was like bottom three, bottom four, two. Uh, but it, when he did throw deep, it wasn't that bad. I, you know, just going through some of the numbers that uh, Sports Info Solution has, uh, Tua was like league average last year in on-target throws, uh, uh, on throws of like 15 or more yards downfield. Uh, he was right around a range with like Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, uh, Matthew Stafford. So when he did throw deep, at least he delivered a you know, semi-accurate ball. Ironically, Jimmy Garoppolo is right there too with him at 57%. Tua was at 56 Um. But yeah, man, I, you know, I think I think that's what this offense is going to be. It's going to be, you know, a bunch of shallow targets to Tyreek and, and Waddle. Uh, they'll take play action shots deep. And, you know, personally, I'm excited to see, you know, how this all plays out. I mean, we haven't even mentioned that like Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds are here too. And they're like, you know, Raheem Mostert is like one of the fastest players in the NFL uh, at his position too. I mean, they have so much speed here. Um, and athleticism too. I'm like, Mike, Mike is sick. He's you know, a big slot receiver, basically, you know, in a huge man's body. Uh, he's an incredible athlete. And, you know, I think for fantasy, yeah. I, I just don't see an, an avenue where, like, I could see Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, uh, you know, just because this offense will be semi-condensed around them being top 24 wide receivers together. But, man, I you know, I, I think people are excited about Gasicki again. And I don't know. I think I think all these guys are going to have their weeks where we're – 
left wanting more. You know, uh, there's going to be a yeah. lot of games where I think Tyree Kill catches like ten balls for seventy five yards. Uh, keep in mind now that George Kittle, you know, is a really good tight end and uh, flipping it over to the, let, let's just talk about the impact on Miami. You know, let, let, let me back up a second. Ty, I, I just updated my best ball rankings and I still haven't even gotten into like moving Tua or Gasicki. But right now I have Tyreek Hill at 26 overall. So I moved him essentially yeah. from the back end of the first round, early second to back end of the second, early third. So I moved him to 26 overall. I have him right after CeeDee Lamb at wide receiver, and I have him right ahead of Mike Evans. And I I still feel like that's kind of fair, but I reserve the right to change my mind on that. I moved Jalen Waddell from basically 25, 26 overall, all the way down to 41 overall, which puts him at the middle of the fourth round. I have him right behind Michael Pittman at wide receiver and right ahead of Terry McLaurin, who I have concerns about in terms of his quarterback, but he certainly is going to have a bigger target share. So my question is now with Miami, are these two guys going to get really the majority of the work? Because if so, you just look at their team. Mike Kosicki is their franchise player, okay? Graham, Mike Kosicki played in-line tight end on basically 11% of his snaps last year. Yeah. 11%. He was an out wide and slot receiver. Oh, and by the way, they signed Cedric Wilson to a multi-year contract. Yeah, that's Cedric Wilson. That Cedric Wilson money looks funny right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, now obviously, you know, they probably don't make that move if they know they're getting Tyreek Hill. Because they're going to have to move on from at least Devontae Parker. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, where, where's Devontae Parker's targets coming from? Future, so, like, future Philadelphia Eagle Devontae Parker. Yeah, future Philadelphia Eagle Devontae Parker, future Packer Devontae Parker. Like, I, I don't know. Like, he, I'm actually, he might be one of my favorite players to draft if I was doing best ball right now because you would have to yep. think he's going to land somewhere where he's going to be able to produce above his ADP at this point. But, I mean, I think Kasicki's a guy who's going to take a big hit. Um, before this trade, I had Gesicki at 110 overall, which made him, what, uh, like a, n- a ninth, 10th round pick. Um, I had him right behind Dalton Schultz at tight end, right ahead of Pat Fryermuth and Zach Ertz. I'm probably going to f- move him behind Fryermuth, Ertz, and maybe Logan Thomas at tight end. Um, and almost, like, in a way, hope that, like, Miami's like, all right, because we're paying Hill, we've got to trade Gesicki now. Yeah, because he's their franchise player. He's he's obviously commanding a pretty big salary. I mean, this right. is a uh, there are so many layers to this onion, and ultimately, we're still talking about Tua as the ideal version of himself. This kind of point guard quarterback. I think you can make the argument that there is a decent chance he doesn't reach that status. So. Could he drag this entire offense down? It's really fascinating. And um, it's making this team really hard for me to invest into. But if you look at best case scenario, I still can't see Tyree Kill coming anywhere close to the numbers that he put up in Kansas City. For sure. And that's the, you know, that point you just made is the looming bit over all of this. And I mentioned this in our group chat yesterday. We were talking about it with John and stuff. It's like, what if two is not good? Like, that is still a legitimate question. Like, you know, sure, he's now surrounded by Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle was incredible, especially in the white, late half of last year. Like, he's going to take another step. Gasicki's a fun player. They have all these, like, fun players. But 
Uh, they also just got Taron Armstead. We, you know, we've been talking for 10 minutes about the Dolphins. We haven't even talked about maybe the the second biggest move they've made this offseason, getting Armstead, finally getting a left tackle who's competent and can actually protect uh, their quarterbacks. But yeah, I mean, man, like, I, I don't know. I think Tua has acquitted himself as like, okay, maybe he can be an average starter, but uh, how much does, you know, adding Tyreek, bringing Gasicki back, you know, adding some more juice in the run game, how much is all of that boost to it? And, and right now, like, again, March 24th, it sounds great, but getting out there and, and actually doing it on the field is another thing. And like, I think I mentioned this in the chat, but like, what, what if, what if two is not good? And we're sitting here and it's like week seven and Teddy's making starts. Like that's, that is certainly within the realm of outcomes here. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going from Patrick Mahomes throwing Tyreek Hill deep balls to, to Teddy Bridgewater, man. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a, there's a ton of layers of like uncertainty and risk now involved with, with Tyreek and this entire Dolphins offense. And I get it. I mean, the AFC is just, I, I think I, I said it last night on Twitter. It's an arms race basically. Um, and the Dolphins are now throwing their hat in that arms race too. They probably feel like they can compete with the Patriots and in, in the division. Uh, and I think they can on paper, at least right now. That being said, man, I mean, this is all on Tua. You know, Tua has got to step up and, and I'm really excited to see if Tua can do it. Cause like you said, and like Cosell mentioned, you know, years ago in his, in his draft pieces and his, his profile, it's like, you know, at his best, he's a point guard. And now you have all of these point guardish weapons where Tua can be Chris Paul and get the ball to Devin Booker, who's Tyree Kill. He can get the ball to his guys in space. So I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm still ca- I'm cautiously optimistic is the way I would feel about it. Graham, I'm going to tell it to you straight. I just ranked Teddy in my best ball rankings. And yep. now I put him in the ass end of those basketball rankings with the Sam Darnolds and the Drew Locks of the world. But if there's a, if you're in a deep super flex league, Teddy's getting drafted because there is a legitimate shot he makes starts here. And I think Teddy saw that when he signed yep. with Miami. He's like, hey, look, there is a chance that I'm going to play here. And now he's well equipped to make starts. And we know what Teddy is, okay? He's like, you ever see those commercials, Graham, where like they build the boat out of glass and they put a hole in it and flex seal kind of like seals it up? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Teddy is the flex seal of the NFL. He'll keep your boat afloat, but you're not going to win any races with it. You know, like he'll get you to the next shore, but, <laughs> um, but flex seal Teddy is going to, you know, maybe keep these things afloat, but I, I ranked him, but I mean, it's just for Miami. It is like, I, look, the cliche, everybody has said it and we're going to say it just because it's true, but it's annoying. Teddy, uh, Tua does not have excuses. If Tua can't put numbers on the board with this, by the way, they also signed Taron Armstead and Connor Williams. So you add two good offensive linemen to the mix here. Really, this is it for Teddy. And keep in mind, Miami still has two first round picks next year. Okay. So Miami's got the ability with those two first round picks to upgrade from Teddy or upgrade from Tua or Teddy with uh, maybe a trade for a veteran, you know, Maybe Kyler Murray gets disgruntled again, or gets trade up in a draft that's supposed to be better at the quarterback position. That's the way I feel for Miami. Um, it's it's going to be just amazing to to watch this, and I'm I'm actually kind of excited to watch it. The problem is, from a fantasy perspective, this was a freaking buzzkill because yeah. you know Miami had guys I was interested in. I would have much preferred Tyreek went to the Jets from a fantasy perspective. Like really, just, huh? Yes. See, I'm the opposite. I'm glad it wasn't the Jets. I'm really glad it wasn't the Jets because I mean, at the same time, like 
man, we're sitting here talking about questions about Tua. How many questions do Jets fans have about Zach Wilson right now? I mean, my yeah, but it feels like Zach Wilson still kind of has some of that that untamed stallion to him. Okay, you know, Tua's that's a fair. pony. <laughs> you that's, know, that's like, fair. like yeah, I mean, like like you know, Tua. If you if if you're riding Tua, he's not going to throw you off and 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 give you a traumatic brain injury. You might get that from uh from from riding Zach Wilson but at the very least Zach Wilson might win your race so yeah um, and I was also just thinking from a from a fantasy perspective I wasn't too excited about many Jets um I'm much more excited now I mean I I would have been you know there was more Miami guys I was excited about and now that's I'm fair just so, okay. I'm just so much more up in the air as somebody who has Jalen Waddle on our staff dynasty team. I am yes. heartbroken by this move, man. I, I was just like, up oh, there there's give me another hundred catches. Give me 35 carries because you know, he's going to get some Debo action. Nope. Um, now he's going to be splitting that stuff with Tyree kill. I just think it's a fascinating move. And you know, Miami, by the way, I think is still like 10th or 11th to win the AFC. That's not the Super Bowl. That's the AFC. That's how deep the AFC is and how much the doubt is there about Tua. And I think it's all fair. Yeah, definitely is. I looked uh, this morning. They're tied with the Patriots. I think it was plus 230 or plus 240 to win the uh, the AFC East. Obviously, the Bills are the you know heavy favorite there. I think they were like minus 110 or something like that. But yeah, man. I mean, even with the Hill move, they're still right there with the Patriots um, just to win the division. I mean, they've got to get past the Pats. they got to get past the Bills. Um, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it, the AFC is just going to be absolutely wild this year. Uh, I, I mean, let's let's just get now to the next division in the AFC. The AFC North, Deshaun Watson goes to the Cleveland Browns. Graham, you broke this move down. I have to throw out here, though, with Deshaun Watson. Um, the fact that, you know, what, let me back up again. Let me back up again. Let's talk about Kansas City. Then we'll get to Deshaun Watson because yeah. I have to find out what Jenny Vrentes just reported from the New York Times. Let's get to Kansas City without Tyreek Hill. This is really fascinating. I moved Patrick Mahomes from QB2 to QB3. I put Lamar Jackson in front of him. I moved Travis Kelsey. He was I was the only guy on staff who had him as tight end two. Well, unfortunately, my hot take will not last. I had to move him back to my tight end one. I essentially flipped him and and um and Hill in my rankings. I have him now at like 14th overall as tight end one. Now, what do we do with Juju? Who look, I said this on Twitter and I stand by it. He had that 100-plus catch season a few seasons ago. Mm -hmm. He entered free agency twice as one of the youngest players on the open market, if not the youngest last year. And he had to settle for cheap one-year deals both times. This is not a player who the NFL values as much as fantasy does. And surely Juju Smith-Schuster is not an adequate replacement for Tyreek Hill. He's not that kind of player. Can Nicole Hardman Graham finally step up? What? Where are you at on this offense with Mahomes? And look, they're, they're going to be fine. Okay, they have Patrick Mahomes; they're going to be fine. Um, but this is a big step back for them. When you might argue now in that loaded AFC West, they might have the worst weapons, which is wild to say. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's just crazy. The Hill move just completely flipped. Uh, if flip this offense, you know, I, I just got to say off the top, man, like I kind of feel like this is a bizarre trade for both sides. Like the dolphins gave up a shit ton of picks and they don't know if two is good or not. 
Meanwhile, Tyree Kill is like, you know, he's like this ace up your sleeve type of player who has incredible rapport with Patrick Mahomes, who's, you know, basically broken the NFL and like kind of set this like new mold for like an alpha wide receiver who's also a deep threat, who can also like do all the short and intermediate stuff that you like kind of want to sustain offense. I don't know, man. I, you know, I know Mahomes got a huge deal. I know the Chiefs were really tight on cap. Um, you know, everybody on Twitter that says cap space is, you know, whatever it's fake is get out of here. Like this is so obviously at some point, like at some point it will come due. You, any, yeah, any exactly. even year, Graham, you can create cap space. Yes. You know, if, if to make that signing to put you over the top, but the bill does come due at some point. Yeah, and I mean, look at look at the Saints, man. I mean, the Saints have not been able to do anything in this free agency period. Mickey Loomis has obviously done an incredible job every year kind of managing their cap space between giving Taysom Hill a billion dollars last offseason, basically, like just to you know kind of offset some things. But I mean, they couldn't bring back Armstead, who's one of the best left tackles in the game. Uh, all of that being said, man, Kelsey's going to get a, Kelsey's going to get 190 targets this year. I mean, regardless of whoever they bring in, either through free agency, maybe they add Will Fuller. I think Tom brought that up in the group chat, which I, which I loved. I think Fuller is a perfect fit for them. Um, but yeah, Kelsey's, I, I think back to being, I had him at 14 or 15. Uh, let me see. I had it pulled up. I think it just froze on me. But uh, I had Kelsey at, yeah, 15 in my best ball ranks. I'll move him back up to, you know, first round, solid first round pick, just like he was last year. I'll be happily taking him at the back half of the first round. Uh, again, ju- uh, just like I was last year. Juju, I, I wrote up the Juju move and, and basically said, you know, he's like fantasy catnip. Like everybody lo- has always loved Juju, but I think, like you mentioned, his actual value is nowhere close to where people want him to be for fantasy. And now this move with Tyreek, I think is only going to got less money than Byron Pringle. Dude, I, I know, man. And like, remember last year, he got a one-year offer from the Chiefs and the Ravens. He turned both of them down to go back to the Steelers to do like one last ride with Big Ben. And obviously that went horribly. I mean, he got hurt again and now he's taking a one-year deal, like heavily incentive laden. It's a great, for what it's worth, great call by Brett Veach to see if you can like, you know, rekindle some of that like early career magic that Juju had. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's a no risk move. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, exactly. Yeah. I'm just saying like the NFL thinks this guy quite frankly stinks. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and- weird. I mean, it's like, he's caught so many passes, but like he's getting like, he's barely getting more money than Zach Pascal. Like, and he's 25 years old. Like it, it's bizarre, but I mean, obviously we think he's in a spot where he can catch a lot of passes. Well, the thing with Juju before the injuries took, you know, kind of took hold like 2017, 2018, he was amazing after the catch. Like he was like subtly amazing after the catch. And I'm wondering if, you know, the injuries, you know, have just kind of caught up to him and he's just, you know, obviously his skills have diminished. And the good thing for our game, at least, Joe, is like he's in the perfect spot. And now he's, you know, walking into way more targets than I'm sure he even expected uh, with Hill gone. Uh, I, I don't even want to talk about Mikol, honestly. I'm, I'm putting my foot down. I don't want to talk about Mikol. Okay. They've got, they have got to add receivers in the draft. What, they pick oh, They 20- will. They will. 29th and 30th back to back now, right? And it's an excellent wide receiver draft. As yeah. It tends to and they're in the perfect, not- they're in that perfect spot too. Cause I don't think we're going to see a ton of receivers go in like the top 20. Um, so they're in a perfect spot too, to kind of like it's, you know, capitalize it's on that. It's got great depth. It doesn't have your Chase Smith or Waddle at the top. Right. I don't think, yeah. but there's a lot of like Bateman, you know, kind of level players. You know, I was just going through 
And Greg, I, I, I'm, I'm putting together our uh, prospect guide from Greg Cosell, and he called George Pickens from Georgia one of the best receivers in this draft. And a lot of people think he'll be ex- available in the second round, and you know he can sneak into the first round. So it's not it, there's a lot to get to with the Chiefs, but I do have to play devil's advocate here, Graham. And you and I basically fifty percent of our texts are making fun of of Miko Hardman. <laughs> like, I swear to God, that's like half of our texts. Um, but whenever Tyree Kill has been out, Miko Hardman has kind of produced. Yeah. He gained a career-high 103 receiving yards on 11 targets when Tyree Kill played only 14 snaps in Week 18 last year. When Hill was suspended in 2019, Hardman eclipsed 60 receiving yards in three of four games while also adding two touchdowns. And those were the second, third, fourth, and fifth games of Meekle's career. I mean, it's a very small, cherry-picked sample, but yeah. they essentially drafted him in the second round. Remember, that was the year where Tyree Kill was under police investigation. They drafted him in the second round essentially to be a backup to Tyree Kill, and that is what he has been. He has been Tyree Kill's backup. Now Tyree Kill's not there anymore. I will tell you where I moved Miko Hardman tentatively, and you are going to vomit. I moved him to Don't the ninth round. Don't do it, Joe. Round. Don't do it, Joe. I moved him to the ninth round. <laughs> but I agree with Scott from his piece on FantasyPoints.com. He is going to wait to see what Miko Hardman's ADP is. If it rises, no thank. If it rises to like ridiculous levels, no thank you. If he's cheap, I'll I'll, I'll throw a couple best ball shares at Nico Hardman. He can run, but I I totally agree with you. They're not done at wide receiver. Will Fuller's still out there. Valdez Scantling's still out there. God knows, yeah. based on what's going on this week, we'll finish recording this, and one of those two guys will sign with the Chiefs. Um, and then of course, there's a lot of guys in the draft who they can add. So uh, I think we're still in wait and see mode with the Kansas City offense. Yeah, dude. This is the same E. Cole Hardman who got demoted behind Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson, who, oh, by the way, just signed on one-year deals because the Chiefs didn't want him back. Like, you know, I, people are going to fall for the E. Cole Hardman thing again. and It's, it's going to happen, especially if they don't add, like, a field stretcher. If they don't add Fuller or MVS, which, you know, obviously – We'll see. It's Thursday. They could do it over the weekend. We'll see. But if they don't do that, people are definitely going to fall for Miko again, and I, I think they'll probably be they'll probably end up being disappointed again. Yeah, probably that's the most likely outcome. But we do have to see um, exactly what happens. Now let's get to the big move from last week. I, I um, you know, I wanted to talk about Kansas City side of the Tyreek trade before we got to this. Um, Deshaun Watson, he's in Cleveland. Um, Graham, and you wrote this move up, and I understand, you know, writing this up from a fantasy perspective is just like, it's kind of what we have to do. It's cynical as it is. And basically, as we were recording this podcast, Jenny Verentis, my my uh, my schoolmate, my uh, my paper mate at Penn State. Wait, who now really? Works. Oh, yeah. Huh. Uh, I didn't yeah, know that. That's I, cool. Jenny was Jenny was my first editor at the Azalea Collegian at Penn State. So were you guys in the same graduating class or thereabouts? No, she's three years ahead of me. I think two, two oh, okay. or three years ahead of me. But no, cool. uh, she's she's fantastic. She reports for the New York Times that yeah. another Texas grand jury in a different county is now considering one final charge against Deshaun Watson. So he hmm. doesn't seem to be out of the criminal waters yet on these multiple sexual uh, assault lawsuits. Um, which is over 20. They are not yet settled. Um, ultimately, Graham, we don't know what's going to happen there. I would be utterly floored if Deshaun Watson wasn't suspended. Floored. Yeah. yeah. And the contract, if you don't know, add, add more cynicism to this whole thing. 
the contract is constructed basically he is getting less than half a percentage point in salary in 2022 it essentially is constructed that he won't lose money if he gets suspended which is so freaking gross that it's a hell of a hustle by his agent um if you want to look at it from that angle but anyway deshaun watson's a brown um he's currently throwing to amari cooper and not a whole lot else David Njoku is their franchise player. They cut Austin Hooper, so they still have Harrison Bryant there. Um, what 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 was your read on this move for Deshaun Watson for the Browns from 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 the angle of statistics and on field? I know as reductive as it is to talk about it from that yeah. angle. Um, what was your um, what was your takeaway here? Well, I mean, you know. The Browns obviously feel like their roster is ready to win now. And, you know, I think everybody saw Baker's regression. Granted, he played with a number of injuries last year, especially a painful shoulder injury. But, you know, I, Baker's regression last year was the, you know, the catalyst to this offense. It was the thing that held them back. Um, and, and, you know, by every single measure, uh, Deshaun Watson is a top five, maybe top three quarterback. Uh, in the NFL. I mean, his numbers have been fantastic. Uh, I think the big thing that this helps just from like strictly like on field, the way the Browns want to play everything, you know, Kevin Stefanski has been, you know, his, his offense with Mayfield has revolved around the run game. They want to, you know, run the ball heavily on early down, set up play action, all of that. Now he's not going to be forced to just play, uh, play conservative on early downs. He's going to be able to open up the playbook and actually call some aggressive downfield passes that don't have to be like set up by the run. So first and foremost, I think the Browns are going to be way more pass heavy whenever Watson does take the field. It might not be in 2022. We'll see. But whenever Watson does take the field, I'm expecting the Browns to basically completely flip their tendencies from run heavy to pass heavy. I think they'll go from like top 10 in run rate to probably closer to like top 10, top 12. In pass rate, um, Watson was incredible off play action in 2020. Uh, he was second in on target throws from uh, out of, from play action in 2020. He was second in passer rating off play action in 2020. And you know, I, I think everybody kind of connected the Fuller to the Browns dot. Uh, that hasn't been fully, uh, obviously, you know, brought out yet. But you know, Anthony Schwartz, Donovan Peoples Jones are fine deep threats. Amari Cooper can still get deep too. Great route runner. Uh, all the pieces are in place. I, I think even right now on March 24th for this, uh, for, for Watson to be able to stretch the field deep off play action. Um, yeah, man. I mean, whenever we see him on the field again, Watson's going to be a top three quarterback. I mean, since 2017, his rookie season, he's third in fantasy points per game, third in completion rate, second in yards per attempt, uh, fifth in rushing yards per start. Um, I think he's top five in passing touchdown rate too. I mean, every, every metric that you care about for fantasy quarterbacks, Watson's right there. And, um, you know, Watson is, you know, just like any elite quarterback, he's elevated some awesome receivers to great fantasy numbers. And, you know, I think, you know, after the Amari Cooper trade, when Mayfield was still the quarterback, we were all kind of like, oh, this is disgusting. But now, you know, with Watson, whenever, you know, they do get to play together, um, you know, I think, I think the rapport will be immediate. You know, Cooper's a guy who can kind of create his own offense, get open with ease. And I still think Cooper's got more than enough juice uh, to be a, a significant deep threat in this offense. Um, what do you think this does to Nick Chubb? Because Nick Chubb is yeah. obviously the highest drafted Cleveland Brown. 
Um, I have him currently at 21 overall in my best ball rankings. That is a player I have no confidence in ranking whatsoever, by the way, because obviously you still have Kareem Hunt here. Um, but I have him at 21. What what does this do? Does he decrease in volume but increase in efficiency? Maybe get more touchdown opportunities? Interested to hear what your take is there. Yeah, more touchdown opportunities. Um, you know, Chubb was, you know, kind of the engine of this offense late in the year last year with with Hunt hurt. Um, they could still move on from Hunt. It does not look like they will, uh, but Hunt only has one year left on his deal with the Browns. Uh, I think, you know, the big thing is how many games Watson gets. And again, this is a rabbit hole that like you just mentioned it. There's still some ongoing criminal stuff going on and the NFL is doing its own investigation. And I'm sure they're going to, you know, probably levy a pretty lengthy suspension. So we'll see. Uh, that being said, when we do get Watson and Chubb on the field together, I think it's it's going to be awesome, man. I, I think, you know, Chubb is – we want Chubb – the big thing last year for, for Chubb, in my opinion, was he didn't have like the Jonathan Taylor type touchdown equity. You know, we want if, – if you're not super involved in the passing game like Chubb isn't, as a running back, you've got to have a ton of touchdown equity. And Jonathan Taylor like killed everybody in red zone uh, red zone equity last year. He was like – I don't know. He was like first by 30 carries or something like that and carries inside the 20 last year. Uh, I think Chubb is not on that level yet. He's, you know, obviously going to cede some work to Kareem Hunt still, but you know, just the increase of red zone opportunities, increase in touchdown opportunities is going to be going to be huge for Chubb. And I made that note in my article too. I'm like, make sure you make a mental note to kind of intuitively bump up Chubb when we do know what the you know surrounding issues is with Watson. I have him at 18. Scott actually has him at 15. And Scott has been like vehemently anti-Chubb uh, for, his, for the last couple of years. So I think he's kind of made that, that mental note too. Like whenever Watson does take the field, like Chubb, I think honestly might get the biggest boost out of all of all of the Browns, including Amari Cooper. You know, and I think the Browns, if and when Deshaun Watson is suspended, Jacoby Brissett, by the way, is their backup quarterback now. He was signed to be their backup. Uh, in 37 career starts, Jacoby Brissett averages under 200 yards passing per game. So when he is the player, I mean, they're going to run the, the shit out of the oh, ball. Yeah. So we're, you might get like maybe half a season of old Chubb and then half the season of new Chubb. And that it, it just makes him a really difficult player to run. It does. It makes him a, a very risk reward pick. Uh, and I think that's kind of the way second round running backs are going to go this year. I think if you look at the setup between like Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, like all of those second round running backs, like you could make a case that all of them, uh, at least I have Aaron Jones ranked as a second round running back. I don't think ADP is caught up to that yet, but you know, Cam Akers, you can throw Cam Akers in that mix too. All of these guys have like, you can make the case that they have league winning potential, but you know, there's certainly downside risk there. And Chubb is like, I think at the top of that, that list. All right, let's go to the net, the, the next big move, um, which was actually the first of the three that we're talking about right now. Um, and we'll get to some more of them. I, I, we're, I'm, I'm calling this, this is where we're at right now, Graham, with this podcast, the Matt Ryan trade, Matt Ryan got traded after like 137 years as the Falcons quarterback. And I'm calling it a minor move, but we're going to get to the third major move we're going to discuss here. Devontae Adams to the Raiders. Um, this was kind of the first, this was a shocker. This was another one you wrote up and you're like, oh, for, for the love of God. I think this you might have had the migraine when this one came down. Um, but Devontae Adams gets moved to the Raiders. Um, 
And I had to move him down in best ball. Now, I moved him down very slightly. I had him Mm -hmm. at 5th overall. I moved him down to 11th overall. Only because, uh, even though I think Derek Carr gets a little bit of a bad rap, the one thing I think we can agree on is he ain't Aaron Rodgers. That being said, these two had a rapport in college. They broke a lot of records. Adams just basically said, I want to play for the Raiders. I want to play with Derek Carr. I grew up a Raiders fan. He has earned that right. Um... And he signed a massive deal, and he's going to play for the Raiders. Um, and now you have to think this is going to be one of the pass-heaviest teams in the oh, entire yeah. NFL yep. with Josh McDaniels calling the shots. You've got a great set of weapons, arguably the best, heck, in the NFL with Devontae Adams. Um, you have, obviously, Hunter Renfro. You have Darren Waller, who was a disappointment last year. But this is as good a group of receivers as there is in the league and the Raiders are going to have the ability to score quite a few points. Yes, they will, and they're going to have to because this defense is still a major concern. And, Joe, I think they're going to go very pass-heavy this year. Um, Last year, the Raiders were eighth in pass rate. Um, I think we'll see them broach top five numbers. And the big thing for me is, like, you know, their offensive line fell apart. They quickly went from having top three, maybe the best offensive line in the NFL two or three seasons ago to having bottom ten. And last year, Josh Jacobs saw the second worst run blocking in terms of yards before contact, according to PFF. Um, And I think just their lack of a run game is going to even more incentivize the pass. You know, you add Devontae Adams, you you mix in Hunter Renfro and Waller. I think they could add a deep threat and even just further take the lid off this offense. And yeah, this passing passing game is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's definitely a slight downtick for Devontae, but I went into that article thinking like, man... I don't know, like Devontae Adams might slip to like wide receiver eight, wide receiver nine, but I don't know, man. I think I think there's enough volume to go around for Adams and all of these guys that, that Adams can still keep top five numbers and even have wide receiver one in his range of outcomes just because I, I do think the Raiders are going to be forced to go so pass heavy. I have him as wide receiver five right now. Um, and three, I feel very comfortable ranking ahead of him. Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson. Yeah. I'm very comfortable ranking those guys ahead of him. For sure. The one that I am not sure, and by the way, I think right now I'm the only one on staff who has him above Devontae Adams is Debo Samuel. And that's one I might be going back and forth on, but I have five wide receivers right now ranked in my first round. He is the fifth. I would be comfortable taking him there. Um, would I Devonte Adams in the, uh, in the first round, but I do have that little bit of a problem with Debo Samuel. He's another guy. I don't really know where to rank, but I do have him. I think Graham comfortably behind cup chase and Jefferson. Yeah. I, you know, I think cup and Jefferson in terms of just like overall, like target share in their own stratosphere, especially since the, the Rams moved on from Robert Woods and they're just going to be down to like cup, uh, a Rob and Jefferson. We can talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, I think Cup and Jefferson are kind of like their own one-two. I think Chase obviously just has so much spike potential, and then from there, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's like you got questions between Adams, Debo, kind of repeating what he did. Can Diggs bounce back? You know, from like a yardage perspective, AJ Brown's in a great role again, but you know, we haven't seen him really put it all together. There's a lot of questions in that like second round range between the receivers and the backs for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who were dinged up there. Um, I have Alvin Kamara, by the way, uh, as back in the first round, um, because I think Jameis Winston re-signing in New Orleans, which is another kind of fallout from the from the uh, Deshaun Watson trade. Jameis Winston's back in New Orleans. I think he targeted Kamara on 21% of his dropbacks when both were active last year. 
I think ultimately Jameis is probably good news for Alvin Kamara. So I have Alvin Kamara back in the first round, and I would certainly be comfortable taking him at the back end of that as well. Yep. Yeah, he's one of the safer one of the safer backs. Going through my ranks that I did before Tyreek got got traded, like I have like that whole tier, like Fournette, Najee, Javante Williams, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, all those guys, and Kelsey ranked ahead of you know, the receivers we talked about just because I think, you know, they're much safer and have much higher ceilings. Like you could make a case for all of those guys uh, that I just, uh, the, all the backs that I just talked about, you know, you can make a case for all of them finishing the season top five. Like you could yeah. easily do it. Um, so yeah, Kamara is definitely right in that mix. They're going to get Michael Thomas back, obviously, which will probably hurt Kamara's target share a little bit, but yeah, role for Kamara is amazing. And now let's talk about another fallout from the Deshaun Watson trade. Matt Ryan goes to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, again, I said it earlier and I stand by it. The Falcons sold their soul to the devil and the devil left them at the altar. And then once they didn't get Deshaun Watson, they decided it's time to go full rebuild. I would not be stunned, Graham, if the Atlanta Falcons are the worst team in professional football. Let's reevaluate that after the NFL draft because right now their top receiver is Alameda Zacchaeus. Okay, that's not... That that's that's obviously not going to be uh, the case. I would hope when we exit the NFL draft. I mean, Kyle Pitts is their best receiver, but uh, point remains. Let's go to Matt Ryan's impact on the Colts. And I was actually kind of surprised to see some of the takes out there where I thought people were like, "Yeah, I would trade more for Carson Wentz than I would for Matt Ryan." Too. You kind of came down on the opposite side of that fence. You think this is a significant upgrade for the Colts? I do. Um... And, you know, going through the numbers, uh, when I wrote up Wentz's, uh, the Wentz fallout piece when, you know, he got traded to Washington, um, just digging deeper into it with the Ryan trade, it's like, man, like some of the, some of this, some of these numbers were just like eye popping to me. And like, just going through it, like even at 36 years old, Matt Ryan was better in terms of his deep ball accuracy. He was better against man coverage. Um, he was better just in, in general at like all field levels in terms of his accuracy. Uh, he was better in terms of efficiency from a clean pocket. He was better in efficiency under pressure. Um, I think it's a big upgrade and keep in mind, man, like all of these numbers, right. Uh, you can go and check it out. It's for free on, on, on the site. Uh, there's a little table I put together. You can check out the numbers if you want to see yourself, but keep in mind, all of this is like Matt Ryan had by far, by far the worst weapons. He had a terrible offensive line and he was kind of forced to play from behind in a lot of games because their defense was terrible. Colts had leverage, man. Like they, especially late in that year, like the Colts were top three, top four late last season in terms of just total snaps playing with a lead. So everything about Matt Ryan's situation last year was worse and he had better numbers overall one V one versus Wentz. And I, I, you know, all this being said, like, I'm not excited to draft Matt Ryan by any means. I'm probably not going to have yeah, any Matt Ryan in fantasy unless I draft Michael Pittman, but that's kind of where I want to go with this is like right now, you know, sitting here in late March, the Colts have no receivers just like the Falcons outside of Pittman. And Matt Ryan has been excellent at supporting fantasy receivers in his career. Obviously he's played with some phenomenal talents between Roddy White, you know, Julio and Ridley and, you know, Pitts for last year, but he has supported at least one fantasy wide receiver one. So a guy who's finished top 12 fantasy points per game in 13 of his 14 career seasons. And the only season he did not do that was last year because Calvin Ridley, you know, took some time off. 
uh, Russell Gage just isn't in that like talent echelon and, you know, all Kyle Pitts was his leading receiver. I think this is just set up for Pittman to have like an unbelievable 2022 season um, coming off of, you know, him coming off of an 80 catch thousand yards, seven touchdown season, man. Like I think Pittman is pretty much set up perfectly to, you know, kind of capitalize on all of this. And, you know, the Colts are going to add a receiver to maybe one more guy in free agency and, and maybe a couple guys in, in the draft. But I don't think at least for this year, anybody's going to really threaten Pittman for like a massive target share. And uh, if, if Matt Ryan can continue to kind of just keep it together uh, for this year and, you know, the skills don't totally erode, which can certainly happen. I think Pittman, uh, Pittman is somebody I'm going to be very, very bullish on. I have a Michael Pittman uh, at 39 overall, which is wide receiver 16. Graham, you are the high man on staff on yeah. him. You have him at 35 overall, wide receiver 13. I think it's I think it's very fair. Um, and again, we got we have the, we, we reserve the right to change that. It's only March, but that's kind of where we are. You convinced me on that, and certainly, I mean, this isn't bad news for Jonathan Taylor. I still think. I don't think Matt Ryan is going to change the mathematics of what they do offensively. He's just going to make them better, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, you know, everybody loves to talk about touchdown regression without actually getting into what touchdown regression means. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I, I mentioned it earlier, but he was like miles and miles away of like the second place running back in terms of carries inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five last year. And if, you know, Matt Ryan is a, let's say, a 10% upgrade on the low end over Wentz, like, couple more touchdown, uh, touchdown opportunities are going to trickle down their way to JT. Honestly, I think, you know, I think JT versus McCaffrey was a, was a debate. Scott and I talked about it on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think the Ryan move just kind of solidifies JT as, as the one Oh one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I have cup at one Oh two, by the way. So, um, nice. but yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, Taylor is Taylor is my number one overall as well. Oh, we've got we've covered about a million things here. Um, you you wrote up a piece on Allen Robinson, uh, to the Rams, Graham, and you wrote this up before they traded Robert Woods. You've since updated it. They, this is free to read at fantasypoints.com. After the Robert Woods trade, what has been your kind of main takeaway about Allen Robinson moving on to the Rams? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, because when I originally wrote that piece up, I was like, man, you know, they have three guys that could all. Um, you know, a cup is an obvious one, but they have three guys that could easily go, you know, 110, 120 targets. And now, you know, you take away Woods is, I don't know, 18 to 20 to 22% share. And <laughs> Robinson has a case for, I don't know, like maybe not co-wide receiver ones with cup, but I think what Robinson's firmly has top 15 in his range. Uh, once again, here, uh, Van Jefferson, I think we know how the team feels about about Van, he's just going to be a, a deep threat um, in this offense. Just kind of take the lid off. Uh, I think this offense is going to run through Cup. It's once again, but you know, ha- having Robinson gives Cup a legitimate second running mate. And once OBJ kind of started getting more acclimated in this offense, especially in the postseason last year, we saw what the ceiling could be. Man, like you know, they started running some stuff just specifically do- designed for OBJ that you know, kind of like take some of the tension, uh, attention away from cup and you can do all of that and more with a Rob. Um, yeah, I love the move. I think we're going to see a Rob end up being undervalued this year, especially given how many receivers are kind of in that ADP pocket. Um, and I, th- I'm 
you know, again, I have no skin in the game yet. I haven't done a single best ball draft. I don't usually put any of my, uh, my dollars to any of my takes until, uh, after the NFL draft. But I think a Rob's going to be someone I'm, I'm pretty high on as well, uh, uh along with that, Devin. I always fully admit that as well. I don't like to do best ball until after the NFL yeah. draft. There's a lot of people who like to do it before the NFL draft because you know, like last week, Graham, you might've been able to get Leonard Fournette in the sixth or seventh round of a underdog draft. I, I, I saw Fournette some teams, man. You could get Fournette in the sixth, James Conner in the seventh and like Aaron Jones in the fourth. And you probably did not need to draft another running back. Like right, you can exactly. definitely, you can definitely beat the system. You, um, you and Jake, actually, uh, Jake Tribby, both have Fournette. It's 10th overall in your best ball rankings. I have him at 19th. Um, and I, I can see where you're coming from though. He, but by the way, Leonard Fournette, in case you're living under a rock, re-signed with the Buccaneers. They gave him a multi-year deal. He is their bell cow and he's their bell cow on what could be just by virtue of everything collapsing around them, the best team in the NFC. Which is wild, given Tom Brady, you know, retired six weeks ago. Of course, he's back now. But, I mean, just by virtue of everything collapsing around them, the Buccaneers might be the best team in the NFC. They are, absolutely. It's it's crazy. I think Greg Rosenthal uh, at the NFL tweeted this, but he was like, it's it's crazy that the Bucs had the best offseason in the NFC, and they didn't really do anything. And I think that's kind of the point, is like, you know, they got Brady back. They got some of their guys back. But, yeah, man, like, ah, Lenny... I love Lenny, man. I had Lenny uh, a ton in best ball last year, eighth, ninth, tenth round, and I messed up some things in that that ADP range. But Leonard Fournette was a home run pick in that range. And now we're just running back everything we liked about Fournette um, in his postseason run two years ago when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, and kind of like you know the best case scenario uh, that I was kind of envisioning in my head played out last year. Where he's just like he's got a ton of touchdown upside, and he. He has all of the receiving upside. I mean, uh, Eckler uh, ended up catching one more ball than than Fournette last year. But I mean, Fournette was when healthy, uh, led the league in receptions per game. Uh, I mean, who is gonna who's gonna come in and, and fight for that that role this year? It's not gonna be Keyshawn Vaughn, that's for sure. So yeah, man, I, I think I think round one Lenny is uh, maybe not round one, first round Lenny. That sounds better. First round Lenny's fir- uh, firmly in play this year. Yeah, un- unrestricted Lenny is now first. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that one. <laughs> uh, he is now. Um, yeah, I have him in the second round, but I totally see where you're coming from. Um, I also want to open this up to a question that I, I put up on a poll on Twitter. It had a lot of activity, and it was basically cut right down the middle. And you're on my side here. Mm-hmm. The question I posted was: Would you rather have Tampa Bay's uh, Russell Gage or Tennessee's Robert Woods? And for a variety of reasons, I have, by the way, I have Russell Gage at 94th in my rankings, and I have Robert Woods at 108th. Um, Basically, a round, full round difference between the two. And I would comfortably take Gage, probably if you gave me the choice in 10 drafts, I would take Gage probably 8 of the 10. You know, you, you do like to diversify your portfolio a little bit, but I think I have Gage comfortably ahead of Robert Woods. And I thought that was just a... A fun question because I think Woods is the bigger name. He's got potentially the bigger target share, but I just feel like the Buccaneers are going to be the better offense, the offense that throws the ball more. Yeah. Oh, and you know Russell Gage isn't coming off a torn ACL either. Yep. Yeah, man. I you know I uh, somebody responded to that tweet and it's like it's 
I just think of it in terms of projecting volume, like the Bucks threw it 710 times last year. They'll probably be around that number, like 680, 675 again this year. And, you know, we know what the Titans want to do. They want to run the ball with Henry and they were, you know, I think 530 attempts last year. I mean, that's like a 200 attempt, at least 150 attempt difference. So yeah, sure. Robert Woods can get a higher target share, but uh, there's way more, there's a way bigger pie for Russell Gage. Um, Yeah. And I can tell you right now, uh, Brady to Gage stacks are are going to be are going to be fun on on uh, best ball leagues this year. That's yeah, for sure. That's going to be an easy one. I don't think it's out of the question. This is going to sound like a hot take because, for all intents and purposes, I guess Godwin's recovery is going well. I don't think it's out of the question. Russell Gage catches more passes than Chris Godwin this year. No, I don't think so either. I mean, Godwin could definitely miss the first month of the the season. I mean, and why would the Bucks? Why would the Bucks rush him back? You know, they're they firmly know that they're the NFC favorites. You know, they just gave Godwin a nice extension, a three year deal. Uh, they committed to him. You know, I don't think Godwin's going to be any rush to get back. So, yeah, there's definitely. I think it's actually. I would project it now. Like Evans and Gage will be their their one and two. Uh, to start week one. I'm just waiting for Gronk news. I I, I really hope Gronk comes back for one last yeah. drive with this guy. I put, I, I actually bumped Gronk above Gesicki. <laughs> and there's not even, he doesn't even have a team. Play. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's just, uh, that, that's how wild this week has been. Graham, for some, some ungodly reason, we were able to avoid NFL news breaking without, uh, while we were recording this podcast. So I kind of want to wrap this up before NFL news does break. So, so I don't feel like we have to, uh, so I don't feel like we have to, to, to keep babbling on here. Um, uh, thanks for joining me, man. Um, hopefully we get a chance to breathe. I'm going to the mountains this weekend to try to recharge. Um, uh, hope everybody checks out fantasypoints.com. Really make sure you check out Scott Barrett's article on the Tyree kill trade. He broke it down from so many angles that we didn't cover uh, on the podcast. Graham, you've done a lot of uh, fantasy fallout pieces for some of the bigger moves, um, but it's been, a, it's been a wild week. We're going to try to keep up to date on our best ball rankings. Scott's already nose deep in the dynasty rankings, which, you know, probably glad he didn't do uh, last week because of all the crap that happened. But Graham, it's been wild, wild week. Um, maybe the wildest offseason week in the history of the NFL. Definitely. Um, if we miss something, trust us. We did not mean to. It just... There was so much for us to get to. I had a good time discussing it with you, though, man. Uh, we'll we'll reconvene here next week. Um, probably start just churning out draft content. I'm I'm going balls deep into the prospect guide. Uh, Greg Cosell's been sending me scouting reports. I actually have to send him. He has been sending me so many scouting reports that I have to send Greg a list of the players that he has sent so he can remember which ones he needs to send. He has been just firing them to me. Literally, he sent me an email asking me. Let me know what players I've sent so I can oh, give them back to you. So that's what that's what I'm going to be doing for the next hour, Graham. So, hey, um, make sure you pre-order the Prospect guy because that's going to launch at the end of next week, yep. um, April 1st. Um, just so much happening at FantasyPoints.com. Golf is coming. We are expanding in other areas as well, Graham. I mean, behind the scenes, Ben Kukanis, um Let's just hope he's doing it naturally because, I mean, he has been working his ass off. Like, seriously. I'm pretty and sure he cloned himself. There's there's no way Ben's been doing this by himself. Either that or his uh, his young son, Ezra, is like some sort of genius already in helping him out. Yeah. Oh, all right, man. Let's take a deep breath. Yeah. Let's have a, let's have a good weekend. You enjoy your weekend. And please, please, NFL, slow the hell down. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Oh,